Good morning. For anyone who's here or is in Plymouth or Londonderry, doesn't know me, my name is Mike Eunice. I'm a member of the Deacon Board here. For the last uh, almost 15 years, I've called Restoration Church my home. And for a number of occasions, there have been a number of occasions where I've had an opportunity to present the message. Uh, maybe none as challenging as the one this morning for me, and you'll understand why in a moment. We've entered the second week of our series, as you can see from the screens, Quit Church. Now last week, if you were here or if you had a chance to check out the YouTube channel, uh, it will soon be posted on our website, Andrew did a phenomenal job uh, introducing the series with Quit Expecting to Wake Up in Heaven. And that's, um, as he pointed out last week, this book, and I know that not everybody actually reads books, but this is a book, and this is Quit Church. It's by uh, Chris Sonskin, and as we continue to go through the series, you may find yourself drawn to want to know more, and I would highly recommend the book. It's a quick read. It's available as an e-book. It's available as an audio book. So any way you like to, to gain information, uh, you can do that. And again, I think as we continue to go through this series, you'll understand why uh, all of us who are up here are endorsing it and suggesting you might want to read it. Quit church. Quit. What's that mean? It means, from the dictionary, stop, give up, check out, desert, abandon, discontinue, drop out, leave, exit, or pack it in. And I'd like to say that all of us at one point or another in our lives, no matter how old or how young we are, have quit something. Well, our series, Quit Church, is not a play on words. It's truly about being serious with our God. And it's not abandoning the church that God has called each one of us to. And if you know Jesus Christ and you're here this morning, you've been called here. And I personally believe if you're sitting here this morning and you don't know him, you've been called here. But what it is about is quitting what holds us back from having that depth of relationship that Jesus is calling us to, that he desires for us. And my life, the greatest obstacle to that, to that happening is standing right before you. That's been me. My thoughts, my ideas, my bents, my attitudes, all of those have played a role at some point in my life from keeping me from being where Jesus is calling me to be. And that's as close to him as possible. You know, God doesn't want us to have a relationship that's routine or casual or comfortable. And you might say, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with routine? What's wrong with casual? What's wrong with comfortable? That sounds pretty good. Well, the problem is that those three things can become a roadblock. A roadblock to our having a depth of relationship that we've never experienced before with our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So Quit Church is essentially about moving from business, or if you will, from church as usual, to something very different. It's taking us to a place where we understand not only the depth of God's love for us, but what he's truly calling us to. Now, I find it really interesting. I said this was a little challenging. One of the songs that we joined in worship in a little bit earlier talked about surrendering all to Jesus. And today's message is entitled, Quit Giving Your Money Away. Now, I don't know if that gets anybody excited or stimulates any thought. Wow, Pastor Will was just here talking about tithes and kingdom builders. You just said, quit giving your money away. I don't have to do that anymore. I don't have to support 
kingdom builders. I don't have to support missions, whether they're local or overseas. I don't have to do that anymore. And the next time that Pastor Will stands up here and talks about giving, I don't have to. Because Mike Eunice just said, quit giving your money away. Well, not exactly. Two words that I want to focus on this morning. The first of those is perspective, and the second is priority. From a perspective standpoint, I'd like to share this verse with you. And we're going to look at it from two different versions. The first is the New Living, and then it'll be the Amplified. It's from Matthew 6, 21. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. And I choose to use the Amplified version because I think it has a little bit more depth to it. For wherever, where your treasure is, there your heart, your wishes, your desires, that on which your life centers will be also. What I consider to be important in my life, what I consider to be mine, is always at the center of my thoughts and truly at the center of my heart. So it gets my attention, it dictates my thoughts, my feelings, and ultimately dictates my behavior. But as a follower of Jesus Christ, what I have to realize is that the relationship that he desires to have with me, which is the same relationship he desires to have with everyone that's here this morning, requires one thing, one person, to be at the center, and that's him. Lorene and I, a couple weeks back, spent some time with family at what all of you New Englanders call a camp on a lake. It's far from a camp, but that's what it's called, so that's where we were. And one afternoon, uh, one of our granddaughters, um, who's nicknamed Izzy, was sitting out there in the living room. We were all just kind of hanging out, chilling. And her dad went to the refrigerator. And when he opened it up, he pulled out one of these. Commonplace, good old Hershey bar. Immediately, upon the door opening to the refrigerator, Izzy said, what are you getting? And he said, a candy bar. Nanosecond response, that's mine. He held it up, and she said, oh, it's one of those. That's not mine. You can have that. But these are mine, and nobody can have them. She prefers Reese's to Hershey's, and this was hers. Now, what's interesting about both of these, she didn't buy them. She didn't go to the store to get them. She didn't transport them from the store to the refrigerator. She had nothing invested in either one of these, but this was hers, and nobody was going to get hold of it. Please tell me you've all seen A Christmas Story, that iconic Christmas movie that plays 17 times every season. There's one awesome scene in that, well, there's a lot of awesome scenes in that movie, but there's one in particular. It's Christmas morning, Ralphie and Randy, the two brothers, come down the stairs, and they freeze when they see the tree and everything under it. Ralph is sort of the, the, the hero of this movie, but his brother Randy, who is just an annoying little brat of a kid, looks down and says, and I want to get this right, it's not real hard, but he says this, wow, a truck, that's mine. Then looking at everything else that's there, look, that's mine. Look, a fire truck, that's mine. Every single thing that under the, under the tree was his, according to him. And getting a little bit deeper in terms of movies, 
in Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, the iconic scene towards the end of the film has Gollum, who's been chasing this ring with Frodo, he grabs it. The last words he utters as he falls into the fires of doom, he's going backwards with this big smile on his face. It's mine, it's mine, it's mine. And then he meets his end. I have a question for everyone here and everyone in Plymouth and everyone in Londonderry and everyone online. Do you say it's my candy, it's my toys, it's my time, it's my money? You know, in the Bible, Jesus spoke of finances over 2,000 times. And believe me, that's not because he wants or needs our money. He doesn't really need any financial or tangible substantive item from us because he's king of kings and lord of lords. But he knows that our attitude about material things and the time we have in our life is central to our relationship with him. As I said just a little bit ago, whatever is at the center is going to draw our attention. It's going to be our primary focus. It's what's going to get most of us. So whose stuff is it? In the book of Psalms, the 89th Psalm, verse 11, the heavens are yours and the earth is yours. Everything in the world is yours. You created it all. Everything in the world is yours. You created it all. It's all his. So here's a fundamental truth, and I hope you see this as a clear reality of what I'm sharing with you this morning. For every one of us who has chosen of our free will to give our lives to Jesus Christ, he is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Our perspective can be way off, and, and believe me, mine has been in my life, way off on all of our stuff. And I'm not talking the lighthearted, makes you laugh, candy and toys kind of stuff. I'm talking about my car that nobody else is going to drive because it's my car. My house, my money, my job, my time. We may think we own all of that. But that's just an illusion. Because we don't own any of it. God does. He created it. He blesses us with it. He holds us responsible to take care of it. But ultimately, it's his. And I don't want to diminish anybody's hard work, saving, planning, all the things that you do to try to, to be comfortable and, and be blessed in your own way. We're called to do that as stewards of what we're given. So I would never diminish that. The real question, though, is what's our perspective on those things that we have? What's our attitude? And what thoughts and actions do they lead to? I want to share part of a parable with you. It's from Matthew 25, and it's the 14th verse, and we'll go into it a little bit deeper. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. In this parable, what Jesus shares is that a man of means was going on a journey. And as he did that, he entrusted three of his trusted servants with various amounts of money based on what he believed their abilities were. And he gave them the opportunity to use that. And when he returned, he met with each of them, and he held them accountable. And those that had 
invested wisely and grown what they were given were rewarded. And there was one that didn't. And he was not rewarded. Just as in the parable, we're his servants. That's who we are as a church and as believers in Christ. And he's entrusted property, just as the man of means did in the parable. He's entrusted it to us. Now, you could call us caretakers, stewards, managers. The title really doesn't matter. What does matter is the position we've been put in. God has chosen to share his riches with us, and he's given us responsibility with it. You know, we, we're here for a very short period of time. We call it a lifetime. And God understands that as he pours into our life and gives us more, we have that time. And, and for us, we don't know when that's going to be. Nobody's been promised tomorrow. But for the time that we do have, we understand that God has entrusted us with so much. And I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about our responsibility and our stewardship of everything that we're blessed with. So again, another question, and I'm going to be asking a lot of them this morning. Do we manage what we're given with the values and the heart of Jesus? Do we recognize and manage recognizing it's not truly ours? And do we do it in a way that demonstrates the love, the compassion, and the personhood of Jesus? Some of these are not easy questions. Jesus gives to us with joy. It's all through the scriptures. He loves to bless us. He loves to take us into his hands and his heart and just pour himself out to us. Is that where we are? I hope you can all see this. This is a cheesy little coaster. I've had this with me for almost 19 years now. 18 and a half years ago, I was working in Delaware. I was a corporate VP. I was third from the top. I was pretty impressed with myself. It was the, president, the owner of the company, the president who was his son, and me. And it put me in a, in a position of authority, a lot of responsibility, and, and I, was, I was compensated well, and there were blessings. Our company got into financial difficulty. And the bank that uh, did most of its lending with us and had a, a lot invested within our company decided they needed to send a team in to take over and help turn around the company. Now, ultimately, that didn't work out. Uh, we met our demise uh, about a year later. But about three or four months after that had occurred, a gentleman came into my office and literally handed me this. It was like handing me a business card. He handed me a coaster. I was not impressed. He then went on to tell me that he had joined the turnaround team and that he was now going to be the senior VP, which meant I was going to report to him. He also told me that he had no experience in the industry we were involved in. He had no experience as a senior VP in a position such as the one he was now being put in, but because he knew one of the other members of the team, he had been hired to take this on. Now, I'm going to be dead honest with you. I was not happy. My job, my work, my knowledge, my passion, got a common word here, right? My, all of that was now being, I thought, taken away from me because somebody else had stepped into a role that I believed was mine. 
So what did I do? I sought out a new opportunity, and I turned in my resignation as soon as somebody else said they'd hire me. And as soon as I did that, people who worked for me, people who work, worked alongside of me, people that I knew from my church started to talk to me about what the decision was that I had made, and was it a godly decision? Was it what God was calling me to? I wasn't there for me. No more than I am where I am today, standing here for me. God places us in places, and sometimes it doesn't go quite the way that we want it to. It's not mine, it's his. I spent some time praying and agonizing over the decision, and I decided to rescind my resignation. One of the best decisions I ever made. The remaining time with that company was painful as I watched it go down in flames. But I had the opportunity to speak into other people's lives, to help people. And this is not about me being so special. It's about where God placed me and he can place every one of us when we allow him to do so. He placed me in a position to be able to help, to reach, to touch other people's lives. And for the time that I was still there until we closed our doors, I had that opportunity. Because I had to recognize that it was a blessing to be in that role. I had to recognize that what I had been given the job, the knowledge, the experience, the talents, the gifts, were not mine. They were placed in me by God, and he was calling me to share those with other people, and that's what I ended up doing. Again, one of the best decisions I ever made. But sometimes giving requires sacrifice, and I hope you recognize that. And I think whether it's those that know Jesus or those that don't, this next verse speaks highly of giving and sacrifice. It's John 3.16. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. That is the ultimate demonstration of selfless giving. God the Father gave his one and only son not only for us, but he gave him to us. You know, we don't give to satisfy God because we can't. He doesn't have any unsatisfied needs that he needs us to meet because he doesn't have any unsatisfied needs at all. When we give, we're called to do that out of love for him, out of heart for him, and out of thankfulness to him. And when we give from our heart and not our head, there is a benefit. There are many. But here's one specific benefit. It clears our mind, our heart, and our spirit and allows us to be open to every word that the Lord is trying to speak into our hearts and wants to speak into our hearts. And it's that kind of giving and receiving that is at the core of our mission here at Restoration Church. It's what enables us to reach just one more. Without that heart, without that spirit, without that type of giving, we can't succeed at that. When we choose, and it's a choice, it starts here, but it comes from here. When we make that choice to move from the comfortable and the casual and the routine, it's a win. And if you didn't want to say win, you could say blessing. But that's not why we do it. We don't do it to be blessed or to win. We do it because we love our Lord. That's the heart that it needs to come from. 
you know, we operate in a comfort zone. We all want to be comfortable. We don't want any stresses. We don't want any unexpected pressures. We just don't, we just kind of like walk through life and it's all good. One, that's unrealistic. Two, that's not the God that we have. Because if we're in a comfortable, no sweat zone for the rest of our lives, we won't grow. And our relationship with Christ is a growing relationship. For those of us that are married, our marriage started with romance and excitement, and then there was some reality that set in. But through that reality, through the challenges, through the struggles, we give to each other more of ourselves. We love each other more. And we grow to this inseparable bond between us. That's part of that Christ-like giving that we're talking about this morning. God's a giver. He's calling us to be the same. I like this next set of verses. It's, it's 2 Corinthians 5. And I'm using this on a premise of God wants us to be more like him, and our giving makes us more like him. If it seems we are crazy, it's to bring glory to God. And if we're in our right minds, it's for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone, so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. God's a giver. John 3.16, he gave his only son for each one of us here. And if we're going to have a relationship with him, he wants to keep giving to us. He wants us to enjoy everything that's around us. The world that we live in, as much as sometimes it's, it's like, oh man, another day? No. It's Thanksgiving in our hearts that he's given us another day and the opportunities that come along with it. When we give in love for our God, we're absolutely called to give humbly and enjoy. <clears throat> Do you know what happens? There's going to be people around you that don't understand that. And here's some of the things they're going to say. You give how much? That tithing thing, you give 10%? Are you crazy? Because that doesn't fit the role and the, and the model of the world that we live in. Well, if they say that, here's what I say. If that's crazy, okay, I'm certifiable. And I'm proud of it. I'm happy to be. Because I'm honoring God as he's called me to do that, as he's called each one of us. <clears throat> there are a lot of people in the world who are very generous. There are a lot of people in the world who are very generous and don't know Jesus Christ. So you can give without loving. As I said, there are many people that give without loving. But you can't love without giving. There's just no way. There's a story of a wealthy man, and, and he was seeking counsel because his money wasn't quite enough, and he had, his heart was troubled, and he was looking for answers. So he went to a very wise counselor, and they met in the, the wealthy man's office, and as they were there, the counselor took him over to a window and said, hey, look out the window there and tell me what you see. And the wealthy man said, I see a lot of people. He said, okay. And he took him by the hand, 
he led him over to the other side of the office, and he put him in front of a mirror. And he said, look in there, tell me what you see. He said, I see myself. And the wise counselor said to him, do you know the difference between the window and that piece of glass in this mirror? Is that this mirror has had silver applied to it. When that silver is applied and you look into it, the only thing you're going to see is yourself. When we focus on other people and we give to their needs, we experience joy. We experience the heart of Christ. We bring joy to his heart because it's moved the focus from me and that mirror to that window and to being able to look out at others and see them and see what their needs are. Giving does something else for us. There's all kinds of benefits here. Giving draws me closer to God. Read from Matthew 6 earlier. I want to repeat it. It's 621. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Where I put my money, my time, my energy, my thoughts, my emotions, wherever I invest those, that's where my heart's going to be. Another question. I told you there were going to be several. Where do we want our hearts to be? If I give from a heart of love and compassion, I have moved closer to the heart of God. When I give from a heart of love and compassion, it takes the focus off of me and places it where God has called it to be, on those that he puts in front of us and those situations that he brings in front of us. Once again, we move from looking in the mirror to looking out the window. Now, there's got to be, and I'm not pointing my finger at anybody because I don't know who it is, but there's got to be at least one person sitting here this morning saying, that sounds really great, but you don't understand my situation. I can't afford to give like that. I can't afford it financially. I can't afford it emotionally. I just don't have it to give. I try to make it a practice of never coming up here to speak and not speaking from my own life. And I want to tell you that there have been times, not just one, but times, where I neither understood nor followed the principles that I'm talking about this morning. So yeah, I've experienced too much month, not enough money. More than once. Not easy, not comfortable. And I look for all kinds of answers. A different job, a second job, work more hours, make some crazy investments. Those were really good decisions. I can tell you about those sometime. All kinds of things. More than one equity loan. All to just get myself to a place where I was on level ground because I wanted to make sure that I was dealing with my stuff my way. None of those proved to be a solution. The real solution was understanding God's principle. His principle of giving out of love, out of caring, and frankly, out of obedience to his word. And I'm not diluting the need to be wise and to work at having our finances and our heart in order, we have responsibility there. 
but it all emanates from understanding that principle of what God's calling us to. You know, being a Christian and operating in faith in any part of our lives, but especially in giving, makes us radically different than the rest of the world because they truly don't understand it. And we don't give back to God because we're expecting him to kind of, you know, a voice that's going to boom out there, thank you. That's not why we do it. Think about the gift we received. We received the son of the living God hanging on a cross for us. We received forgiveness for every sin and every transgression we could ever commit in our life. And we received, when we choose to accept it, a gift of eternal life with God in heaven. There's nobody going to outgive that, ever. So when we give, we shouldn't be looking for thanks. We should be the ones offering the thanks. We're responding to something that was given to us freely, without any obligation, without any hook. And all we're asked to do is to love God back in return. You know, he desires us to be generous, not self-centered. And, and listen, when I reach perfection, I'll let you know. Are those times where I'm still thinking about myself? Yeah, absolutely, it happens. But it's not what drives my life as it used to. It's not what occupies my thoughts like it used to. It's a funny thing about money. Well, there's lots of funny things about money, some sad things too. But money's a magnet. Wherever it goes, it has this tendency to just draw your heart in the same direction. So when we give of our finances, of ourselves to God, that's where the magnet is. Imagine what draws us right to him. It's a pretty good combination. Giving also strengthens our faith. Proverbs 3.5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Now, I don't, you know, I don't know who the smartest, the highest IQ, the most experienced person in this room is, but whoever you are, and at one point in time I used to think it was me, but it's not. We will never understand all of God's ways. We can't because we're not him. But we can receive the blessing of his ways. Here's why giving strengths are faint. Because sooner or later when we're giving, we're going to face a question. And the question is going to be this. Can I really trust God? Is he going to come through? Does he understand the circumstances I'm in? When we commit to him and we commit our hearts, our spirits, and our giving to him, I guarantee you that question is going to come up and maybe more than once. Just a few years ago, it'll be four very shortly, 2015, I was offered a position to become the executive director, as, as many of you know, of the Crisis Pregnancy Center here in Dover, Options. And there's a lot that goes into that story about how I, I got to take that position, but one of the things that entered my mind was this. 
leaving the corporate world that I was in with 30 plus years of experience, uh, I was being offered a 50% cut in my pay. Now, I could be very altruistic and very spiritual and tell you that that never entered my mind, but it did. I had to think about that. And here's what I'm going to tell you almost four years later. Have we had challenges, Laureen and myself? Yeah, we've had challenges. There hasn't been one time that we have not been able to give. There hasn't been one time where we haven't been able to maintain our giving. There hasn't been a time where we have even thought about, oh, what do we do now? And I'm not saying this to, to like, again, puff myself up and say we're so wonderful. I just want to be an example of what Christ can do in our lives when we allow him to. We're giving more now than we were when I took the position four years ago. And I took a 50% hit in what I was being paid. Nothing strengthens my faith. I don't know about yours, but nothing strengthens my faith than when I see God move I don't understand it. I don't know how it happened, but I don't need to. What I need to do is to trust him enough that he's done it. He says he's going to do it, and he's a God who honors his word every single time out. It requires faith. It absolutely does. (coughs) But the more I give, the stronger that faith becomes. And I know that you all know this. We can't outgive him. It's not possible. So the more I give, the more he enables me to give. And, he, and not only does he enable me to give, but he instills in me the heart and the desire to want to. And it's truly not a, a, a situation where we need more faith. It's a matter of taking the faith that we have and making a deeper commitment to it. If I say I trust you, and I trust you to you know, go out and get me a, a glass of water, okay, well, that took a certain degree of trust. If I trust you to watch my house for a week because we're gone, That's a different degree of trust. What degree of trust are we going to place in God that he will honor his word to us and honor his promises to us? So again, giving is not about the the quantity of faith that I have. And maybe you're going to disagree with this, but I believe it's about the quality of the faith I have and how much I let that faith operate within my life. Yeah, I want you to suppose this. And I know there's some relatively newly married people in this room, so please learn from this. Suppose it's Valentine's Day, and I hand my wife, Lorene, a gift. And here's what I say to her. I really didn't want to buy this, but I really haven't gotten you anything for a while, so I thought that I should. And I know that Nate, and I know that Andrew, and I know that Jeremy, they all got something for their wives, so I thought I probably should do the same thing, so I got this for you. Here you go. Happy Valentine's Day. Probably not the best approach. Try this one. Same gift. Nothing changes. I hand it to Lorena. I tell her, you know what? I love you so much, and I don't even have the words to tell you how much. And I want you to have this just because I love you for no other reason than here. There's a really good chance that the reaction to both of those scenarios are going to be a little bit different. It's the same with God. Here, God, I'm giving this to you because I'm supposed to. Here it is. Versus, Lord, 
Thank you for blessing me with what I have to be able to return a portion of that to you. Thank you for loving me, and I love you. That's real. I said there were two words earlier. Perspective was the first, and I'm going to be closing with this one, priority. Giving is also worship. Now, I know I'm one of the oldest people in the church. I think I might be like the third or fourth from the top. But this definition is older than all of us. So just, it's from 1828 from Webster's Dictionary. And it defines the word worship. Worship is to honor God with extravagant love and extreme submission. Extravagant love and extreme submission. Worship's the priority we place on who God is on our, in our lives, not what he's doing for us. It's a priority that we put on where he is in our pecking order, first or somewhere further on down the list. And worship's not confined within the walls of the building that we're sitting in this morning. It comes from our heart, expresses our love for God, and it should be expressed in the life that we live because it's not relegated to Sundays either. We simply worship God because he's God. We simply give because he's God. So giving is an act of worship. It's an opportunity to give something that we value sacrificially. Sometimes it's going to hurt a little bit. So we worship in music, we worship in prayer, we worship in the word being spoken, and we worship in our giving. We don't do it with any expectation of anything in return other than seeing his love continue to pour out on us. And it's a funny thing, because that love is going to be way greater, proportionally speaking, than the size of any gift that we can give. Sometimes we need barometers, sometimes we need to measure, and it's not, oh, you did this and I did that. That's not what I'm talking about. We have to look at ourselves. But there's probably no more accurate gauge of our spiritual life than what we do with our giving. Do I give grudgingly? Oh, wait a minute, that's mine. I can't give that away. Okay? Just like this. Do I do it under pressure? Oh, man, I got to do it because it says I got to do it and everybody, and there's some guy up there this morning telling me I got to do it, so I got to do it. Or do we do it under guilt and fear? Uh, I better give because if I don't, you know, some lightning bolt's going to come down and hit me. Is that what we do? And are we hit and miss? It's convenient, it's comfortable, it's easy? Sure, I'll give. It's none of those? Well, maybe not so much. A heartfelt, sacrificial, deep within our spirit giving is not quid pro quo. It's not, I'm going to give, and if I give this much, I can expect to get this much back. Hey, Jesus, here I am. I'm giving. See me. When's mine coming? No. Nor is it a poker game. Okay, I'm going to play giving game with God. You give, I give, I raise you, and you raise us. And we keep going back and forth. Because none of this is a game. This is part of our spiritual DNA and our spiritual life. God doesn't need our money. He needs us. And he needs us to be like him.
And that only happens when we keep him center stage, not somewhere backstage. At the center of our life, not somewhere in the back. And it happens, as I've said several times already this morning, when we come to the realization that everything that we have is not ours. Everything that we have is a blessing, and everything that we have is his. We trust him, we worship him, and why? Very simply, because he's our Lord, and he's our Savior, and we love him. I want to pray as I close. Father, I thank you, God. I thank you, Lord, that you love us. You love us sacrificially. You love us completely. And, Lord, you love us in spite of ourselves. And I pray, God, that for each one of us, that we will take to heart, no matter how long we've had a relationship with you, no matter how much we love you, Lord, that we would take to heart your call upon us to give from our hearts, to give freely, to give back to you. And I thank you for everything that we were blessed with as your children and for the opportunity we have to even give back. I pray, Lord, that, that we will be a blessing to your heart and will bring joy to it. And I thank you, God, for being our Lord and our Savior. And I pray it in your name, Jesus. Amen. Please stand with me and sing.